But one of the things I've seen people do during the midst of this pandemic is to go on virtual field trips uh, where they go online and look at different places all over the world and throughout history. And so I thought I'd take you on a virtual field trip this morning to a place that's special to me. And this place is Salem Campground, which is located in Covington, Georgia, which is the home of Salem Camp Meeting, uh, a gathering of people that meets every year for a week during the summer. And my guess is you probably have never been to a camp meeting. Uh, maybe you've never even heard of camp meetings, but camp meetings are a unique part of American history. Because ever since the early 1800s, Christians have been gathering together in different places like this all over the United States. And as they've gathered for a week or two weeks during the year, they've devoted themselves to those things we talked about last week in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. People gather at camp meetings like this one to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching as they hear God's word shared from pulpits like this one. They devote themselves to fellowship as families come. And in the early days, people would actually bring their wagons and their own animals as they gathered together. People have devoted themselves to breaking bread as they ate meals together. And they've devoted themselves to prayer. And it's in gatherings like this that, that people have experienced the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in a fresh and a new way. But one interesting thing about camp meetings is that in the early days, I mean, there would be as many as 25,000 people who would gather together for camp meetings like this one. And that's because it wasn't just the faithful who would come. It would also be people who were sitting around bored without anything else to do. I mean, maybe you can relate to that right now. And so they didn't have Netflix. They didn't have online workouts or any of this other kind of stuff. And so they would come and they would kind of check out because these were large social gatherings as well. And they would come and see what it was all about. And, and the camp meeting that, that, that I'm standing at right now, this campground has hosted Salem Camp Meeting since 1828. Since 1828, people have been gathering together here in this place. And actually, the building I'm in right now, which you saw a wider shot of earlier called the Tabernacle, it was built in 1854. And so whenever I'm walking on these grounds, which I like to come to to kind of get away and uh, just be somewhere a little peaceful and a little more slow down. Whenever I walk on these grounds, I mean, I think about all the history that has taken place since 1828. I think about how so much trouble has taken place in the world and in people's worlds during all of those years. I mean, if you think about it, people gathered here during the 1918 flu epidemic. People gathered here during the midst of the world wars in Vietnam. And some people who, who, who came here to worship regularly, I mean, they, they never came home. And their families were left behind grieving. People gathered here during the Great Depression, during economic recessions up and down. Even in my own life, during the midst of my troubled seasons, I've gathered here as well because I've come to camp meeting every year pretty much since I was born. And so when I'm walking these grounds, I think about all the trouble that Christians have experienced in the world since all this began. But I also think about the transformation that's taken place, taken place here as well. I mean, I think about all the people who've surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ here. I think about people who've heard a call to ministry here. I think about people who, who weren't sure if God was done with them yet or, if, or if, if there was more for them and they encountered the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit here. And I think about that transformation because God has transformed me in this place as well by the power of His Holy Spirit. 
when it was actually uh, here, not in this pulpit. I wasn't allowed in the pulpit back then, uh, but it was here right down front on the sawdust floor in this room that I gave my very first sermon. And it was after that sermon that people came and gave feedback and confirmed uh, the God's call on my life to preach and to be a pastor. There's been seasons where I came and I felt dry and I felt distant from God and here my spirit was renewed. I've seen people's lives transformed in this place. So when I'm here, I think about all the troubles in the world and how this place has endured in the midst of them. And I think about all the transformation that's taken place. And these two things, trouble and transformation, are really a part of every Christian's life. And when we look in the book of Acts, I mean, we, we also see trouble and transformation as well. Sometimes when we think about the early church, we have this idealized picture. We think about how they were eating together, they were laughing together, they were growing exponentially, they were seeing miracles, they were experiencing the presence of God through His Spirit that He sent to them. And we think, wow, it must have been amazing. And look, all of these things are true. But in the midst of all of these amazing things going on, we also see that they faced a great deal of trials and a number of tribulations and a lot of trouble along the way. I mean, if you look in Acts chapter 4, we find that as soon as they begin preaching in the name of Jesus and telling people about His life, His death, and His resurrection and His ascension, we find that they're warned, hey, don't tell anybody else. And then in Acts chapter 5, we find them being arrested and flogged for continuing to share the name of Jesus. Then in Acts chapter 7, we actually see the first martyr of the Christian faith. And martyr in the Greek is actually the word witness. We see the first witness of the Christian faith unto his death, and that is Stephen, as he is stoned to death for believing and for proclaiming and for sharing Jesus with other people. And so we see that the, the Christians, they face a great deal of trouble. And one of the people inflicting a lot of this trouble was a Jewish man named Saul. And Saul wanted nothing more than for the church to be stomped out, to be completely exterminated. And he was actually overseeing that, going house to house, arresting Christians, dragging them from their homes. And he was actually there when Stephen was stoned and he oversaw it all. And as Paul is on this mission, he believes it's from God to stamp out the church. But we see that even as he's inflicting a lot of trouble, one of the greatest stories of transformation, I think, in all of Scripture. And that's the story I want us to read together today in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 22. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that was a name for the Christians at the time, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind, 
and didn't eat or drink anything. And in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And then, after spending several days with the disciples learning from them, he went and began to preach and teach all over. And as you can imagine, I mean, at first, the early Christians were a little nervous and scared of him. I mean, just think about the worst terrorist you can imagine coming to faith in Jesus Christ and them wanting to hold uh, an evangelistic crusade in your city. I mean, you'd be nervous as well. But they began to see the Spirit at work in him and through him as people came to know Jesus Christ and his ministry. And soon after that, he begins traveling all over the world, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And right now, I mean, you might have seen I switched locations and you might can hear the water uh, bubbling up next to me. Right now, I'm at the spring at Salem Campground. And this spring is a naturally occurring spring. It's spring. It's why they chose to have camp meeting here. And water flows continuously. And this has been a source of refreshment for people, but it's also been a source of baptism for people. And I've baptized many infants and many teenagers here as well. And when I, when I stand here at these waters that have seen so many people baptized in them, I mean, I can't help but think about Paul and his transformation. How God transformed so many things in his life as he came to faith and through his baptism. I mean, if you, if you think about it, I mean, he got a completely new identity. I mean, before his identity was rooted in the fact that, that he wanted to get Jesus Christ out of people's lives, out of communities, really just get him out of the world completely. But then when he went on to write so many letters that are now part of the New Testament, Paul describes his identity and the identity that we're called to have as Christians as being in Christ, being one with Christ, united with Him. And so Paul came to understand that through this new identity, he was a new creation. He was forgiven. He was a beloved child of God who had a place with Him for eternity. So Paul had a new identity, but he not only had a new identity, he had a new community. I mean, think about it. Before, the Christians were, were not his people, but then Christians became his people and he ate with them. He laughed with them. He fellowshiped with them. He prayed with them. And not only that, I mean, he began establishing Christian communities all over the world because he knew something that was extremely important. And that is that when you become a Christian, it's, it's not a private affair. I mean, it's something very personal, but it's also something 
that's meant to be communal, lived out with other people. So he received a new community, but not only that, he also received a new mission in life. His mission was transformed. Instead of being an instrument for trouble and turmoil and violence in the world against these Christians, we read, if you recall, God told Ananias, this man... Paul, who also goes by Saul, is my chosen instrument to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. So he moved from being an instrument of, of trouble to an instrument of transformation. Someone who worked against Jesus Christ to someone who was a witness for Jesus Christ. And as we keep reading about Paul's life, I mean, one thing I want you to notice is, is that right after this, in the scene right after this, in the midst of great transformation he still experiences great trouble. I mean, right after this, some Jewish leaders make a plot to kill him because they know that his transformation and his witness and his uh, intellectual abilities and ability to convince other people of things and God working in him, he, they, they knew they had to get rid of this guy and so he had to escape for his life. And thankfully, it, it was saved. And then afterwards, when he's sailing around the world planning communities, I mean, his ship is wrecked. We find that he's locked up in jail. We even find that he's bitten by a snake. I mean, he knew Jesus's words that in this world you will have trouble. But he also knew that Jesus said, take heart for I have overcome the world. And so in the midst of his troubles, he continued on. He continued on with the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And as he continued on in the midst of the adversity, he grew in boldness, he grew in wisdom. He, he grew in faith. He grew in so many ways. And what we find is that God continued to transform him in the midst of his troubles. Paul's life reminds me of an old quote from Oswald Chambers who wrote the great daily devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. Oswald once wrote this, that an average view of the Christian life is that it means deliverance from trouble. But the true Christian life isn't deliverance from trouble. It's deliverance in the midst of trouble, which is very different. And I think that's something that, that you and I need to, to experience and really internalize during this season. And so I think we don't need to just wish away our troubles or pray away our troubles, which I, I think we should pray about all of these things, which is why we do it on Tuesday night. But I think we should add to those prayers, God, in the midst of everything going on, would you transform us from the inside out? Because one of the things we see throughout Scripture and throughout Paul's life is that God doesn't just want to tweak our lives. He doesn't want to just make them a little bit better. He doesn't want to make us a little bit more comfortable or a little bit more happy. God wants to make us completely new by the power of His Holy Spirit. He wants to do a complete overhaul, a total extreme home makeover in each of our lives. And so this morning, I want to ask you a very personal question. During this season of trouble, what needs transformation in your life? Perhaps it's, it's your identity. I mean, for a lot of us, the old things that we were rooting our identities in have, have been stripped away. I mean, some people, their identities are rooted in work and now work is gone. Some of us, it's our bank accounts. For others of us, it's, it's feeling or looking like we have it all together when now we know we, we don't have it all together. 
and we don't know what the future holds. And so, so maybe we need to come back, maybe you need to come back to realizing that you are God's beloved child, to rooting your identity in Christ and finding your worth, your value, and your significance in Him. Maybe the transforming work in your life is giving up this sense of self-sufficiency that you've lived with for so long. I mean, for me, a lot of times I think, you know what, I can do it on my own, but, but I've come to see during the season, you know what, I can't do it on my own. I, I need other people. We need other people in our lives. We need community, and we need God. Our deepest problems, it's been revealed, are things that we can't fix ourselves. Humans can't fix. We need God to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. So maybe you need to give up that sense of self-sufficiency and surrender to God and to His purposes for your life. Maybe uh, it's a sense of mission. Maybe your priorities have gotten out of line and you've been putting a lot of other stuff ahead of, of sharing and showing the love of Jesus to others. So maybe you need a transformation in that area. Maybe, maybe it's a secret sin that you've been harboring or, or just bad habits or attitudes or words. What needs to be transformed in your life during this season? The good news I want you to know this morning is that the Holy Spirit has the power to transform everything. And the good news is also that if, if God could do that for Paul, someone who was going around and murdering Christians, then He can do it for you as well. He can transform you from the inside out. And this isn't something that we have to do ourselves. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so as we close this morning, I'd love to pray for you. Here on these grounds in this place, I, I've prayed many prayers. I've seen many prayers answered. And so this morning I'd counted an honor and a privilege to pray that the Holy Spirit might transform us in, in times of trouble, in the good times in our lives, and the bad times and everywhere in between. So would you bow your head and pray with me? Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you because there are places in our lives that we haven't yet handed over to God. There are parts of our lives that we're ashamed of. There are, are dark spots that we've tried not to let others see. And this morning, we want to hand over all of those things to you so that you can do a transforming work inside of each of us. And so, Spirit, meet us this morning in our deepest places of needs. Speak to us. Help us surrender. Fill us with your spirit and help us to be a light to a troubled world around us. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' holy name.